Hi everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the latest edition of Courageous Conversations and I am very excited to have Wayne Pierce with me this morning. Hi Wayne, how are you? Hi Leanne, great to be here. Fantastic, I'm so excited. Now for those of you who don't know Wayne, if you're my vintage you would very well remember him as a legend in NRL as captain of the um, Balmain Tigers and also captain of New South Wales and then you went on to coach for some time. Yeah, I, I coached, after I finished playing, I coached uh, the Balmain Tigers for six years and we then joined with Western Suburbs, became the West Tigers and I coached them for another year and I also coached State of Origin for three years, which was fantastic. Wow, okay. And you're now doing a lot of work with your business, Wayne Pierce Advantage, and it's around peak performance and you consult with business, right? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I finished coaching in the end of 2000 and I pretty much took my skill set to the business world. And that's the skill set I'd acquired over a couple of decades, which involves university studies as well as just the practical learnings that you get from being a professional athlete as well as being a, a coach, professional yeah. sports coach. And I'd also, in the era that I played, you had to work a job. So yeah. I had... You must think of that a, now, right? Yeah, no, no, you had to work a real job back then. Yeah. I actually went... Uh, New South Wales Uni and I did a, um, a science degree plus I did a, a dip ed diploma of education and and I was a school teacher for a few years and then I got out of that and then I went into sales, sold advertising for the Channel 10 networks, right. which was a big sports network back in the 80s. And then when I finished playing and got the full-time coaching gig, I moved just into, into coaching and then beyond that, into what I'm doing now, which is consulting when I've been yeah. here for 20 years. Awesome. And so we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm really keen to have a conversation with you about because you've had to have courageous conversations in two different spaces from a, a football perspective. Firstly, with your peers, so leading a team, and then as the coach, which is literally as the boss. So I'd be really interested to know how you firstly manage that peer-to-peer relationship and the conversations that you've had to have in that space. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, my I was pretty fortunate in a way, but unfortunate in another way, that my dad died, which was a tragedy when I was 14 and a big trauma to me when I was 14. But as the oldest of three boys in the family, I sort of stepped up as the father figure. And from a very young age, I, I sort of took on a sense of responsibility about doing the right thing and, and wanting to lead the way. That, in the early days, I got plenty of practice having conversations with my brothers and bullying them around. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Just joking. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I, I had this sense of knowing what was right and what was wrong from a pretty young age, yep. and I was pretty focused from pretty young. So for me, the ability to have a conversation with, with others, whilst easier was not easy still, when I moved up and I was elevated to being a professional athlete and then was elevated to coach, it, it was uncomfortable, but it was something that I grew into. And what I found That's actually a really important point, right? I had a session yesterday with some team members at Lang and Simmons, and one of them is in a leadership role, but admitted that he runs from conflict. Every time there's a difficult conversation, he li- he physically exits the yeah. building. Yeah. And so I think it's a really important point, right? Everyone's uncomfortable. Most people are uncomfortable to start with, but you do grow into it. Yeah, I think that's the thing about anyone that's that's aspirational or anyone that's an achiever. The natural tendency for human beings is to stay in your comfort zone. That's that's what it is, you know, because yeah. it feels good. Because it's comfortable. Feelings. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But moving into the discomfort zone, which embraces new territory, particularly in having these uncomfortable conversations, is something that if you are prepared to push initially, what happens is that the comfort zone becomes more comfortable. It becomes bigger. So the conversations that originally were uncomfortable become comfortable, particularly if you have the right intention. I was 
big yes. part of having these un, these uncomfortable conversations is having the right intention. Yeah. But each of us has got to be uh, really careful of the default position that we'll fall into in these conversations or in when a conflict situation arises. Now, conflict is not necessarily bad. In fact, conflict is neutral. Mm-hmm. It's only bad deter- de- depending on your position or can be bad depending on your position. And the story you, te- you, the story exactly, you tell the story yourself. Exactly, the story you tell yourself, yeah. right? So, so, for example, if I'm in a team and you're a team member to, yep. of, of mine and we've got a difference of opinion, if you don't give a stuff and you don't care because you don't, you're not invested in whatever that is, then there's going to be no conflict, right? Yeah. Because you're just going to let it go run by the wayside. But the conflict arises when you are passionate about something or invested in something, I'm invested in something, and we've got a difference of perspective on that. That's when the conflict arises. Yeah. If we're both not invested, then there's no conflict. So, or one of us is not invested, there's, not, there's no conflict. The challenge is to harness that energy, and all conflict is, is energy. We can use it in a positive way or a negative way. Harness I like that, that energy. conflict is energy. It's a matter of how we utilise that energy as to whether we get a productive outcome or an unproductive outcome. A huge factor in that is, yeah, a big factor is how we go about structuring up the conversation. But the, the second part of it is, being aware of your own default position. So there's three key default positions in a conversation right. that can derail a conversation. Yeah. I mean, the first one is the person you talked about just before who you said that person runs no. from the conversation. I call that the victim. Yep. So they slip into victim where I can't do anything about this. I'm not capable. So what I'll do is I'll just avoid it. And that position is really common, yeah? Yeah, the second position that's really common is the attack position. Yeah. So I'm in a high stakes conversation with you and what happens is it's not going the way I want. So I start venting and attacking you, which is energy used in a negative way. Yeah. And that has negative consequences. The third position is the position that may seem virtuous, but it's actually when you break it down, it's a negative space. And that's the person that we call a rescuer. So the rescuer is the person that offers unsolicited advice. It's Leanne. I've heard some situation going on with you. Leanne, why don't you do try doing this? And that's me offering advice is fine, provided it's asked for. Yes. But I'm talking about the person that's, that's pushing their advice or opinions upon somebody else. And that's what often unfolds for a particular fallback position yeah. in some people. Yeah. So these three positions are the positions that each of us have sitting there waiting that we can slip into if yeah. we don't keep ourselves in the okay space. It's really important to to make sure that we, we frame up the conversations, the tough conversations in a, in a healthy way. And that, yeah. that's something that I wasn't very good at originally, but uh, over the years and, and more recently, actually, to be honest, in, in the last half a dozen years is where I've, I've really started to master this. And I came across some knowledge and, and uh, there's a thing called the drama triangle which talks about these positions of, of the rescuer, the persecutor, and the victim. When I started to investigate this and then applied that to the practical learnings that I, that I uh, came across, it really took my ability to have these uncomfortable conversations to another level. And where would people find some more information about that if they were interested? Yeah, well, I mean, you can Google the, the drama triangle. Steve Cartman is the author of that. And do a bit of reading on that on the internet. There's skill sets around understanding how you actually use that is something that, that I've come to appreciate as, as a, a really valuable skill set. And I've developed some skills in, in that space over a period of time as well. I mean, if you've got to have a conversation with somebody, yep. 
the starting point needs to be an open and transparent space. So for me, having a conversation with you about something that's that's high stakes, I need to be really candid and, and, and let that the other person know what's going on in my head. So I need right. to let them, I'm really a little uncomfortable about this conversation I'm having with you, yep. Leanne. You know, I value you as an employee, but, you know, you're just having too much time off over, over recent periods and it's having an impact on the other staff, blah, 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 blah. So I'm setting it up in a way that it's totally transparent and you're yep. not reading into it something, or maybe you've, because I've organised a meeting with you and it's unusual to have this meeting. Yeah. But it's harder to get defensive, I guess, if you approach it that way, saying, Correct. look, I'm really uncomfortable with this. Correct. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good that's good advice. And so you've been consulting now for about 20 years with business. Talk about what sort of work you're doing. Yeah, so the the work that I do is, is very much in the space of peak performance. So most businesses don't realise that there's potential upside in their business if they address certain key areas. One of the key areas, for example, that, that there's massive upside in is, is in the team workspace. Yeah. Okay, because there was a, a study done by Corn Ferry about four years ago and they looked at the leadership competency gaps in Australia and it was commissioned by MBN Co. Okay. Corn Ferry did the research and they found that the number one leadership competency gap in the country was building effective teams. Yeah. So wow. it's effectively... Oh, that's uh, scary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and most businesses will say teamwork's really important to my business. Sure. When I say to them, okay, that's great. So where do you see the great teamwork? And when you look at it, you see the great teamwork in professional sporting teams. Sure. Really good. Special operations, for example, in the armed forces. The full-time fire brigade's really good. These disciplines spend a lot of time practising... In fact, more time practicing teamwork than they do executing. So a professional sports team will practice four days a week, two rest days, one game day. Business has five game days, maybe two rest days, and zero practice oh, days. Zero practice days, just so right. it's really a weird concept to say, okay, teamwork's really important, but we're not putting any any time into it. Yeah. But the thing what I've come to appreciate and what I work with businesses on is firstly an understanding of what are the fundamentals that you need to address. Because if I ask the typical business leader, what are, is teamwork important for you? They go, yes, tick. Okay, so what are you addressing to actually make sure that your teamwork is is up to speed? Yep. They can't tell me. Right? So no. there's there's a, a framework, I call it the team ignition model that, that I've developed over the years that has within that framework a set of tools that, allows business leaders to embed into business as usual the key fundamental teamwork practices. And the foundation for that model is a, is absolutely uh, resides in a climate of trust. You don't have a climate of trust and you don't work to build that trust. And most people aren't aware of what the, the core elements of a high-trust culture are. And so let me ask you this. In any organisation, there's going to be different relationships and different levels of trust. So I might have a team of 10 and they might all trust me as the leader, but they don't necessarily trust each other for various reasons. How can you kind of work on that? You work on that by doing the sort of thing that, that is done in, for example, professional sports teams each year when the team start their training sessions at the start of the year, or and State of Origin is a great example. So State of Origin doesn't start 
and the team is not selected until the end of May each year. Right. So those players that play State of Origin, but they've been training with their teammates at club level for seven months. Yeah. Six or seven months. Yeah. So they're really tight with their mates at club level. Yeah. Then what happens is the best of the best players are plucked out of each of these clubs and dumped in a camp for either Queensland or New South Wales at the end of May, and the coach has got eight days, that's all, to prepare them yep. for the toughest match of their career because State of Origin is such a tough sure. environment. So the coaches have got eight days to take them from being a non-team to being a high-performing team, that's yep. all. And, and their competitors often, right? They're, they're, correct. They're people that they would normally get white like Absolutely. Yeah, so they, they've competed. Some of them have had all locations on the field, yeah. verbal each other, then they've got to come together, right? So the coach has got eight days to actually take them from being a non-team to a high-performing team. But there's an interesting formula in origin, state of origin, and that yeah. is the first couple of days of origin, there's very little, if any, of football training. Right. The first couple of days is very much anchored in the concept of building connections between players, getting allowing them to bond, emotionally connect, bond, uh, and build trust. Right. So, and that's done through doing some activities together, but the big part of it is having honest conversations about allowing them to understand each other. I say it's taking the mask off. Each, every professional sports team will do the same thing. It doesn't matter what sport they are around the world. If, you, if they've got a coach that half knows what they're doing and uh, understands this, how to build a high-performing team, then you're, you, you've got to break down the barriers. Yeah, right. And in business, that concept is really not absorbed by no, many bosses. So that's one of the things that I actually, I, I sort of teach bosses in business how to do that because you can't just sort of come in and, and instruct your people to, you know, just tell us some hardcore truths about sure. you as a person. But there's a way that you can get to that point. That's one of the one of the key aspects of which is, is the foundational piece of, of this teamwork space. But in terms of other skills, I mean that that was one skill that stood out as the the biggest gap, yep. leadership competency gap. Sure. The second space that was a really big gap was coaching skills. Yeah. Most bosses really don't quite understand the concept of coaching. Because coaching is is not teaching. It embraces an element of teaching, but coaching is helping that an individual become the best they can be. Sure. But that isn't about telling you because if I'm telling you, I'm not giving you the opportunity for you to maybe, I'm maybe telling you what I believe, but that may not be the best way for you yeah. to uh, to perceive a situation. So the coaching conversations piece is, is, a, is a significant gap as well. A lot of our listeners are in the real estate space and you've done, that's how we met, was um, yeah. you've done a bit of work in the real estate space with my friend Charles yeah, Bainey. absolutely. And so you would know that a lot of the guys and girls in the industry are really high-performing salespeople and decide to go out and do it for themselves. But they're not great leaders or yeah. business people typically. Well, it's not just in, in real estate. It's in actually in, in any, any industry. So you think about business. How do people become... Why are people promoted in business? Most people are promoted because, for example, they're a really keen, conscientious, dedicated worker. They're very good technically at what they do. Maybe they're upwardly aspirational. They manage the, the boss pretty well, so the boss got a pretty good opinion of them. Yeah. And go on and on and on with, with, with all these different reasons that get, people get promoted. But very rarely do people get promoted because they are good at working and leading other people. Yeah. Or work, managing other people. Well, because you don't know that. Often, you don't know that. Do you? Yeah. yeah, you don't know that. And 
And so what happens is, as you would know, being an experienced boss yourself, a boss's skill set is, is drawn from two distinct buckets. One bucket is the bucket of management. Yeah. So it's about me getting this task done and making sure that this task gets done. Yeah, That's where the technical skill set that they get promoted into sits really comfortably. The other bucket that you need to tap into if you're a boss, if you're going to be have, be a really good boss and, and the business is going to be really productive, is the leadership bucket. Yeah. So the leadership bucket is really that, that bucket that's really about you focusing on, on where we're going to, keeping your eye on the horizon, at the same time inspiring your people and helping your people become their best. You've got this task focus and people focus that you've got to shift between, shift between the two. And I call this a bill, and because on, on any given day, if there's a conflict or crisis comes up, I'm going back into this management skills sure. market because yeah. that's, I've got to be hands on here. But in business as usual, I really should, my focus should be on the go forward position because that's where in this world of exponential change that we're in, that's where my vision needs to be to take the business to be where, where it's going to be most productive. So the ability to shift between the two is what I call leadagement. So leadagement is a combination of management and leadership, right? Like so that ability to shift, but a lot of people, you can only shift between the two if you develop the skills in both sure. areas. But most, when I say most, a lot of the bosses that I've observed over the years get stuck in this management space because they haven't developed the leadership competencies. Yep. And when you haven't developed leadership competencies and you get stuck in this management space, what does that feel like? It's a high-stress space because yep. you're trying to be, be over everything when you shouldn't have to or you, or yep. you shouldn't really you should, be you need to have You need to trust your people to do the job that you're paying them to do. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Trust them and, and make sure that they've got that the resources is, and yeah. competencies to do that. Yeah, that's so true. I see so much of that yeah, in you our would. space. You yeah, to. Massive. It's a real challenge to, to know how to best take people to the next level. And, I mean, we do team-building kind of activities at our conferences and events, but it's really, like, they're more really a fun few Now, hours, what it is, right? people, the, the, yeah, when I go into a business and, they, and before I start sharing what, what, what I can offer, I said, well, have you done, ever done any team building? Oh, yeah, yeah. We went down and we, we built this raft, you know, yeah. and blah, blah. Or at the conference. across the pool. It was yeah. awesome. All that sort of stuff. I said, no, no, no. That's, that's morale building. It's yeah. not team building. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it, okay. It's good for morale, which is, which is a short-term thing. But it's not going to build and, and improve the foundations of, of the team concept or teamwork concept. Yeah, for sure. And so what kind of activities do you need to do to build that? I mean, you obviously have to have those conversations, but... Yeah, yeah. So well, the first the first part is you've got to create an environment where people can have the in a, a safe environment where people can have these conversations where they where they actually see another side of the person and they see the true and authentic person because okay. so many people wear this thick mask around and that is difficult for some people to take off. So you've got to create a safe environment. Yeah. There's also activities that you can do that the ones that I've actually embraced are the ones that actually teach lessons around communication yep. they teach lessons around relying on others and using the diverse skill sets that are available in a team and also the fact that you've got to trust each other to get stuff done I mean that's that's really important and, and trust is is a gateway but getting back to what you were talking about a bit earlier you, you still have to develop an ability if you're going to be a great team to have the tough conversations to have those yep. those conversations where you actually Firstly, with yourself about how 
honestly keeping yourself accountable. Yes. But in a great team, the really good teams, everybody keeps everybody accountable. Yeah. For agreed behaviours or outcomes regardless of role or position. And I'll say it again. Yeah. Everybody keeps everybody accountable for agreed behaviours or outcomes regardless of role or position, which means that it doesn't matter. You could be my boss. Yeah. But I'm in a really good team. We've got that much trust that, that you haven't done, for example, what you uh, uh, said you're going to do. So I've, I, I can have this conversation with you sure. knowing that, that, it, that we've created an environment that's based on high trust and I've been open and transparent. What you promised hasn't been delivered. And there's, not, there's only three key aspects to trust. The first one is if I'm going to be trustworthy, there's three aspects, or you're going to be trustworthy. The first aspect is is your ability to demonstrate competency. So if you as a leader are not demonstrating that you're competent and you have the knowledge, then it's very difficult for your people to trust you. As a technician or a salesperson sure. in, in real estate, if I'm not demonstrating that, that I'm competent, then my clients aren't going to trust me or my peers aren't going to trust me. Yep. The second one is reliability. So if, I'm, if you're not reliable, then people aren't going to trust you. And the third one is sincerity. And that means that you've got to really have honourable intentions yep. and not manipulate or go into that space where uh, someone else is doubt- doubting my intentions. They're the, they're the three key aspects. And if you don't tick all three boxes, then you lose your your level of uh, trust, which which effectively, as a real estate agent, yep. you lose your level of influence. It starts to get complicated to recruit people, right? Because people yep. want to be working for people that they can rely on, that they trust, that have got the, that have got a good vision and can share the the why to the broader. Team. Well, that's the other piece. I mean, that under under sitting underneath what I call this team ignition model is a sense of purpose. As a boss running a business. If you don't generate an understanding of the deeper purpose of what your role is, what the business is about, and the difference that business can make to other people, and the difference you can make to other people, then it's very difficult for you to be fulfilled. Because fulfillment is ultimately a simple equation. Fulfillment in your in a role is the level of purpose that you feel about that role times the level of trust you have in the stakeholders that you work with. Yeah, right. So that's when you have high trust and you feel that you're making a difference, then your role is going to be pretty pretty satisfying. It's going to be quite joyful. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm glad we've scheduled in another half an hour meeting after this because there's a lot more for us to talk about in relation to our teams. So I'm excited for that conversation. So if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about what you do in your consulting business, what's your website? Yeah, yeah. So my website is waynepierce.com.au. Oh, that's easy to remember. Easy easy to remember. (laughs) Yeah, if anyone's got any queries, they want to know a bit more about the sort of stuff that I do and the work that I do, uh, just flick me an email and... I'll respond to you that for sure. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Pleasure chatting to you. Thank you.